0: Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with com. I'm Abhishek and joining me today over the phone are S. Srinivasan, the associate editor at Forbes India and Sishir Prasad, the deputy editor. Hi there, both of you. Hi, hello. Sishir, before we dive into the, this fortnight's cover story, I was curious to know how, how was the last one uh, received by the audience on algorithmic trading? I remember you saying that we still have a long way to go when it comes to high frequency trading. I think the podcast
1: done well podcast has done well. If you see, I think a lot of people have listened to that. And we've got a -hmm. decent amount of feedback. It is not a subject which Mm -hmm. immediately sort of gets you going in terms of a response or a feedback. Right. But because it's an intricate subject, It's, it's a couple of layers removed from every person's daily life. But I think in general, if you ask people in the market, I think you would think that yes. We did address an issue that was fairly relevant.
0: Right, Ashwini, this one's for you. Last time you are yourself a chess player, and then you and Ashish had put mm-hmm. together a beautiful cover on Vishwanathan Anand, and then this time it's about. Uh a character called Gordon Gecko who is very synonymous with greed is what the whole world knows if they have seen the movie Wall Street. So what's your story about and how, how interesting was the research bit from Vishwanathan Anand to Gordon Gecko?
1: As you all know, Wall Street, uh, the sequel, uh, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps uh, is going to release in a couple of days. She came up with the idea that let's do a story on them mm-hmm. and uh, Shishu commissioned uh, a story on the movie. As well as uh, they managed to connect with Hollywood and get an interview with Oliver Stone.
0: Yeah, I have another question and, uh, for you. How on earth did you manage an Oliver Stone <laughs> in a business magazine? Yeah,
1: we... So the way it worked was, uh, this movie actually was not supposed to be released on September 24th. I think the earlier release date was a couple of weeks before this, so you know, maybe around September 16th or something like that. So what we had done was we had commissioned a small story in the magazine. Basically, this is Wall Street One, which such a landmark film. It's one of the best films made on the stock market. And, you know, it did very well critically as well as commercially. So uh, we thought, since this is a sequel of sorts, so why don't we look at this film as well? Mm-hmm. And uh, try and give readers a, a sense of what's on the anvil. And as things turned out, journalists always want one extra quote just to make the story more powerful, you know. Mm-hmm we thought you know since we're doing a story we might as well see if we can talk to uh, the publicist of Oliver Stone maybe he can get us a quote on the email or something like that you know? and as things turned out as the story progressed they kept telling us this wait for a couple of days we'll give you a reply and fortunately for us because I think I'm not sure about this fact, but I think Michael Douglas was diagnosed with an illness. And because of that, the movie release got postponed. Mm -hmm. And because of that, serendipity struck. And we heard from the publicist, who are a guest writer, who has done the interview in one piece in the cover package, Maharshi Mm Vaishnav. He heard that, you know, Oliver Stone is ready for an interview. So we said, well, there's no looking back now. So we got the, we, we, we had that together. And then it was very interesting because then we were thinking, you know, this is something big now. We have a stone interview. We have an article on the film. And then Srini, I think, came up with an idea that, look, this is about greed. And he came up with a hypothesis that greed in some ways is back on Wall Street. Now, since we are here in India, there was no way of immediately responding to that. Right. But so all of us went to work. I think Srini went uh, to work researching through his contacts. I called up a few people. And, uh, well, you know, this was that moment in that haunted house, uh, you know, uh, film sequences where you, know, you say, there seems to be somebody in the house. And soon enough, we find out, yeah, that's yeah, somebody is. And so, uh, you know, tell us, uh, Sini what you found? To our surprise, we found that every single person that we spoke to, and these are people who are like headlong into Wall Street activity right now. And they were all saying that what uh, greed, I mean, it never went away, it, it's bad. And now we, we see excess all around and, and Wall Street has gone back to its old ways. So okay. the financial crisis of 2008 has not taught us many lessons. I mean, one or two lessons have certainly been picked up. A few things have certainly been tweaked or changed. But by and large, the concept of greed remains intact. And we asked them, you know, what are the examples? I mean, tell us what really is happening. Right. And then they told us, yes, there are at least one bubble is building up right now. And how do you define greed? How do you identify greed? Some kind of excess activity where everybody is jumping in without paying attention to the consequence. They, everybody knows that this is not sustainable. It is going to come crashing down, but still they participate in it. All other indicators have shown that uh, you know, even though the stock market is down in the dumps, economy is down in the dumps, and people don't have any opportunity to invest in projects, in america people are still raising money some companies are raising money uh, now saying that uh, you know we will keep it for a rainy day and they don't have a clear plan as to how they are going to invest that money mm-hmm. so that is another thing that is happening so uh, two or three things like that and they said uh, this is uh, quite convincing that uh, greed is back on wall street Surprisingly, the many people that we spoke to and, you know, they don't know each other, but they all kind of agreed on on a few basic things, what exactly happened. So we got that uh, pretty picture of Wall Street in our minds. Uh And we went ahead and uh, wrote that story to kind of connect uh, the movie to the real Wall Street Uh and make the larger point that greed is back. Actually, Abhishek, I must tell you also, one very important uh, element, though a very small one, it's also a very interesting story, and I think if the readers cue into that, they would find something of really value in that. Is that we sort of rounded off this entire package with a small one-page article by a regular medical columnist, Dr. Vikramshil Kumal. He's written a very small, but one-page article saying how greed sort of manifests itself inside a human bodies. What, what is the biochemistry of greed really? I mean, why why do you sort of when you look at this nice chocolate brownie, you know, you want to have like you know five pieces instead of just one? And you know, why do Wall Street traders, for instance, you know, even though let's say they would have made millions, they want another 10? So that's another very nice uh, thing, rounds off the entire thing. Yeah, it
0: also has a couple of uh, scientific words like dopamine, <laughs> up some part of the brain, which is written in a very layman's terms, which was an enjoyable read. But now, is Gordon Gecko, uh, let's assume that. Greed, the hypothesis that greed is not bad and that it's a primal instinct, like the article also says, the one pager that you just spoke about. So, should Gordon Gecko evoke anger or sympathy, or he's just doing his job? Is it bad? As first?
1: the film points out this time, and of course, we are yet to see the film. Mm-hmm. It's going to be released only on Friday, which is tomorrow, and the podcast is being recorded. Gordon Gecko is actually a nice in this film. <laughs> he's okay. the reformed, he's, he's the guy who is, you know, with a change of heart. He has reigned in that primal instinct, which is what I think humanity is about. Mm-hmm. I know um, that because
0: in your article, Gordon gecko represents the bad guy in the US, who probably the stockbroker who has made certain insider trading deals or has become rash or is working for the money. But on the other hand, Gordon gecko said, look, I play for the shareholders and I would go to any lengths to make them happy. So isn't that what the stock market is about, keeping the shareholders happy and getting as much as possible? Of course, not crossing the ethical line. Do the American stockbrokers or those Ivy leaguers or the ones who get millions, are all of them, can they be painted with the same brush? Because I suspect in most of the media articles, Hmm. it seems as if everyone is out there to slam the American audience, saying that, look, they made wrong decisions in spite of they being well-educated and living in those fancy apartments. Well, in
1: (laughs) in general, you can't paint everybody with the same brush that's Mm -hmm. the general rule of life. But if you look at the literature, look at the articles that were published, the article that Michael Lewis wrote for instance in for Esquire and you know it would seem to be that many people got swayed, that's for sure. Did everybody? I don't think so.
0: I I just want to
1: add to that Gordon Gecko is not necessarily a bad guy in everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. In fact, ironically Garden Gecko becomes some sort of a hero for Wall Street wannabes uh, right after the first movie came. And even the makers of the movie were surprised that the Garden Mm -hmm. Gecko was uh, lionized like that uh, in the popular psyche. Many people had come up to Oliver Stone and said that I want to start off as Bud Fox and end up as Garden Gecko. Mm -hmm. So it has a positive connotation in some people's mind, definitely. Uh, How do you draw the line between aspiration and greed? I mean, it's a very subjective and very tenuous kind of line, you know, when does aspiration be complete? So that is uh, one part to it. The other part of it, of course, is that shareholder welfare is some sort of a bogey that uh, people raise to do what they want to do. Uh It's not always that the shareholders make money when these people uh, do their deals. Investment banking at one level is run for Wall Street employees, you could say. That's probably an exaggeration, but I'm saying in some cases, it's the employees of Wall Street firms who make that money. Shareholder welfare is a nice concept. But if you know the history in the 1980s that uh, this has been used to Raid, uh, Carl Icahn had used it and other corporate raiders had used it Uh uh, to launch hostile takeovers on companies and uh, to actually strip the assets of uh, the target company and sell them off. And Eventually, it is the shareholders who lost. But uh, at that time of hostile takeovers, this concept had kind of nicely helped them. We can't simply say that Garden Gecko was just doing his job.
0: Uh, he
1: was doing much more than his job, and that's what a lot of uh, people who admire him also did that. And, and uh, you could uh, find a sizable number of people in the current wall street also who do that but but you know if you had looked at the story we had tried not to be too moralistic about either about wall street or about the concept of greed saying that the fact is that greed drives wall street and there is no separating greed and wall street and we cannot be talking about a situation where greed is completely eliminated from these things
0: right and in all of this where is the american consumer in the sense that uh, since this is about the Wall Street and the stock market should ideally if it works on fundamentals let's assume for a moment then it should be because companies do well the productions are high people are buying more sales are happening let's say revenues for the company and hence the stock market keeps ticking but none of that is happening at the moment with unemployment rates we all know almost second day Obama sends out a statement that don't worry things will get better etc so where is the American consumer in all of this Uh, or is he even important enough or are the stock brokers Even considering him or they are just playing with the financial papers and bonds with their own story altogether?
1: See, if you see uh, the reduction in interest rate to 0.7, itself was targeted at the American consumer Mm -hmm. because he was not borrowing enough and he did not have the ability to borrow because many of them had lost their jobs. So to kickstart credit, to kickstart consumption, to kind of uh, improve demand, that will have a good effect on the economy. That was the idea behind reducing the interest rate. Mm -hmm. But the economy, let's admit it, is in a shambles there. And there is nearly 10% unemployment rate. And the deficit is at an all-time high. So many people are out of jobs. So the common man is doing extremely badly. Mm -hmm. And what is Wall Street job? At one level, it is to find new ways of making money. You know, they boost their prop book or whatever. There is already an attempt, this is called the Walker Rule, to separate, uh, you know, investment banking from appropriate trading. In 1936, there was this Glass-Steagall Act uh-huh. that separated commercial banks from investment banking and it remained that way till the late 90s when uh-huh. Clinton kind of Came back and uh, removed that rule. Now, this is the second biggest uh, attempt being made after that classical Act. So, if they end up separating it, then it will be very bad for them, and we don't even know whether the impact will be good for the larger economy. So it is like, uh, you know, one of those things, like, you know, what is the role of shop selling? What is the role of speculation in the market? Okay. There are always arguments, you know, it improves liquidity, It you know, it brings in uh, more volumes to the market and that eventually helps the man who genuinely wants to raise money for projects. So, you know, by curbing Wall Street, will you achieve anything? The jury is out on that.
0: So it's a dilemma of sorts for at least the Federal Reserve because I also read in your article that how the rotation of money happens in the sense that yes. because the interest rates are low, that is you can borrow cheaply. The consumer doesn't borrow because he doesn't want to spend now. He's very wary of that. But these Wall Street brokers or these investment banks borrow and then buy the government bonds. Can you explain that part? That's very interesting. How they?
1: Yeah, actually, see, yeah. see, that free money, that free money which the Fed, Federal Reserve gives, They buy that, and where do they invest the money? Can they lend the money for commercial projects? Commercial projects are not happening, um, you know, industrial projects. and uh, Investment is not happening. Can they invest in the stock market? No, the stock market is not doing well. They can send a part of that money to India and China. You know, if you look at the Indian stock market uh, doing so well now, uh, crossing 20,000, you will see that it is entirely FII money that is driving this particular up move.
0: As I see, it, is that... uh, you borrow at lower interest rates from America, let's say at zero yes. some percent yeah. you invest that yes. in India and China where you get a little bit more, so you are encouraging the so-called carry trade, wherein it's, it's not about the products and services, but about taka in gross terms, which, where do you get
1: the yeah, It percentage? is arbitrage, right? It right. is, I mean, Wall Street, Darwa used to look for arbitrage opportunities. So, you send the money to where the interest rates are higher. So you borrowed say, 0% and you even lent it 6% in India or wherever, I mean, in China, in Japan, wherever. Uh, right. Of course, Japan is uh, near zero again. But in other countries, you get the pocket the difference minus, of course, the transaction costs for you and it is virtually risk-free money. And you are using the, your ability to kind of, you know, distribute money through various markets to be able to do that. But that is only one leg of the transaction. The other leg is, of course, uh, what happens within Wall Street, Uh which is you take the money at near zero percent from the government and put it in the bond market. Bond market basically treasury. The U.S. government is not going to uh, default come what may.
0: Uh So it
1: is perfectly safe money and you put the money in treasury. When you put the money in Treasury, what does it mean? It basically means you are lending to the U.S. government, right? right? So you are borrowing from the Federal Reserve and lending to the U.S. government. So that is the rotation I was talking about. And not only that, not only that, the Federal Reserve allows you to leverage uh, your security holdings. That is what we call repo, repurchase facility. Uh-huh. So what you do is all these Treasury bonds are repoable. You buy $100 worth of Treasury. Okay. You can go back to Federal Reserve and show the treasury and borrow $97. Again, you go back to the securities market, buy $97 worth of uh, treasury again, go back to uh, Federal Reserve and get $94. So, you know, you started borrowing $100 and you are building your assets based on that. So that is the leverage that is coming in. However, uh, you know, the leverage typically now, um, both in um, bonds as well as in structured products, seems to be 10 to 15 times uh, your own capital. Whereas uh, in the heydays of 2007, it was 25 to 30 times. So that's a silver lining. So leverage has kind of moderated, you know, right. but still people are not uh, convinced that it is going the same way. Leverage, leverage grows exponentially, you know, it builds on itself and it grows very fast. So we don't know what will happen three months, four months down the line.
0: And the whole thought of all of this culminating again, to have another so-called crash or possibly some kind of a danger is slightly scary. So how much of this do you think is going to affect yeah.
1: India? Just, I don't think anybody even on Wall Street can say with some amount of certainty what's going to happen. So it's a very uh, dangerous thing to kind of predict what will happen. The one thing that we can watch for is global inflation. Globally, inflation is supposed to be low. U.S. it is low. And that is what is enabling the governments, including the U.S. government to keep the interest rates low. Mm-hmm. If, if the demand picks up Inflation will slowly start to inch up, and governments all over the world who act in a coordinated manner now, they will all raise interest rates. When interest rates go up, this arbitrage between 0% interest rate and the government bond yields will kind of close down. Right. Right? As, so when that close down, people don't have an incentive to buy or even hold the Treasury bonds. so they will all come at the same time to sell. That is what could probably crash the bond market. Mm-hmm. However, you know, in my view, what will typically happen? There should be a temporary flight of capital from India or whatever. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, um, how does the treasury market affect us? I'm not sure. You know, it's, it's not even stock market. which is Stock market is already bad. What can be worse <laughs> than this? in in america right. so that way uh, but uh, you know with the caveat that it is dangerous to predict these things because even you know people who m- know much much better than us are keeping quiet <laughs> they're not predicting
0: so imagine the plight of the common investor because i remember reading this quote from one mutual fund it said that market participants don't know whether to buy on a rumor or sell on the news, or do the opposite, or do both, or do neither, depending <laughs> upon which way the wind is blowing. That was the situation in the U.S. about two years ago. And uh, <laughs> hope these things don't repeat, and don't repeat with the cycle so soon at least. Thanks, Shish- thanks Shishir, for your time. And, uh, this Thank is... you, Abhishek. Great. Thank you so much. And for all you yeah. people listening out there, please download this podcast on business.in.com as well as theindicast.com And you can also subscribe to the magazine by just SMSing, Forbes to 51818. That's 51818. That's about it. Would love to know your comments. Bye-bye.